Hello, I'm Jonathan Mast, and welcome to this edition of the Sedgwick Podcast. Uh, today, we are talking all things Kajapa Conference 2022, and I have two great guests with me who know a lot about uh, what's going on in our world here at Sedgwick. Uh, my guest today, John Paulson, Vice President, Self-Insurance Pooling Administration, and Jody Moses, Managing Director, Client Services for Sedgwick. Thank you both for being with us today. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. Well, I know everybody is excited that Kajapa is coming back in person, having dealt with pretty much everything under the sun. So unless locusts show up this year, uh, and I think even those, we might just track them all. We might cook them or something, right, and have a locust cookout. But <laughs> I know we're looking forward to seeing our friends, our clients, and everybody, and and so I just wanted to jump in. I'm going to start with you, Jody, as, as we gear up for Kajapa. Can you talk about uh, what's going on, the revolution in pooling? How does the public entity space look different today than it did, you know, going back to the 1970s, whereas we are today? <laughs> it's funny you use the word revolution. Uh, I don't know so much it was, it was a revolution now. It really more has matured since the 1970s. Back in the 1970s was when the public sector really evolved and, and revolted, if you might say, against the insurance industry who who was would not insure them, who had exited the market. But you roll forward to today, I mean, how many years later? Gosh, can I do my math? Almost 40 years later. And the, and the space has dramatically matured and our, our strong partners with the insurance industry and strong partners with the brokerage community and all of the service providers who support pooling and have, uh, are seen as very sophisticated, in fact, in, in the insurance space from their underwriting practices to member services. So pooling today is well-respected and has strong partnerships with that insurance industry that abandoned them in, in the 1970s that led to the creation of, of pools. Well, that is a great summary of 40 years. <laughs> and you, you definitely are, <laughs> it, it, it is a big space, but you're right. Things, things have come a long way. And things that we probably didn't think about in the 1970s, John, that uh, maybe you can talk about, I know you're going to address at the uh, conference, uh, is cyber risk. Uh, that continues to be a challenge for everyone, but for public ent entities it's, uh, specifically, what are some threats and exposures that, that people should start being aware of uh, that we're seeing, that you're seeing, and can kind of start, you know, getting people prepared for that? Well, I think everybody in risk management's uh, knowledgeable about the general cyber risk exposure. Um, you know, as a public entity conference, a public entity pooling conference, Kajapa, specific to public agencies, we are seeing a lot of concerns about aging infrastructure, uh, remote work, and what that lends itself to in terms of cyber exposure specifically. I think a little bit more nuanced is a lot of people don't recognize that most public agencies have relatively small administrative staff and even smaller IT resources and staff. Um, might even have to contract out some of that work on a part-time basis. Those things in particular uh, lend themselves to um, kind of high levels of targeting, if you want to talk, if you want to say it that way. 
uh, in terms of cyber exposures and why public agencies are, you know, particularly prone as an industry to cyber attack. And kind of building on that, Jody, I mean, you know, are there instances that you're aware of, reason, even, you know, some more specific reasons why public entities are seeing this ramp up increasingly? You know, John did a good job of, of highlighting the, 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 what, why they make such a target rich environment for even low hanging fruit cyber attacks, if we might say that, is largely because of the aging infrastructure and the, the, their resource thin. Um, they don't have the deep IT uh, resources to solve challenges or to, per, to create an, an, an infrastructure that will prevent the cyber attacks. Um, the other area that think about it is our public agencies, whether they're cities or schools or special districts, actually have a lot of data that cyber those who do cyber attacks might be interested in getting about uh, all kinds of things from citizens. We don't think about it that cities often take your money and have pay, pay, have information about their citizens' uh, payment terms, and they also have payroll, just like everybody else has payroll. So they they end up when you combine that that they've got data that that may be of interest combined with uh, an infrastructure that maybe is not as secure or as sophisticated, it's an easy target. Yeah, I think that's a great – oh, sorry, oh, go ahead, John. I was just going to say I couldn't agree more with, with Jody's comments. You know, these the public agencies can be very far-reaching in their operations and have a lot of, you know, sneaky databases and data repositories uh, in terms of those, you know, public operations and that public reach. Yeah, no, agree with you both. The – you know, our, our personal information is currency in the cyber world, and it doesn't take a lot uh, for those people to get some of that, that information. So those are really great tips. Uh, looking back, uh, going back to you, John, what strategies should public entities lean on for support in the areas of protection, infrastructure enhancement, and, and then probably really key is the, the underwriting compliance? Yeah, I think there's some specific strategies, and I'll and I'll touch on that. But maybe at a broader basis, first is, I think public agencies and self-insurance pools specifically need to take a step back and recognize this is not unprecedented, right? So cyber itself is a new and emerging exposure and continues to you know, get worse as we move forward. But historically, in risk management and insurance, there have been other cases of this. We've had directors and officers crises, employment practice liability crises, pollution crises, where you start incurring as an industry a lot of losses and the insurance market reacts negatively in varying forms, whether it's a higher attachment point or reduced limits or uh, less capacity, meaning insurance companies are leaving the marketplace. It's not unprecedented. So in some ways, it's bringing out some of those old playbooks and the strategies that we used for that. Um, more specifically to cyber, uh, I think there is uh, a need for a lot of underwriting scrutiny. So you need to get ahead of the underwriting process. It can't be wait until you get an insurance company application and then start trying to um, respond in very short order to a very large set of questions, detailed technical questions. You need to start the underwriting process early, and you need to 
have some resources available. There are insurance company resources, brokerage resources, pool resources available, uh, but individual members need to lean on those underwriting resources uh, as well as just cybersecurity resources. Uh, a lot of the industry is moving in that direction. It's a little bit nascent in terms of you know, the approach, but there are more and more resources becoming uh, available. And then it's, it's a hard look at IT spend and IT infrastructure because the industry is demanding improvements in specific areas. Um, so that has to be budgeted for in advance. John, uh, I, one of the things you mentioned that I think is so uh, how pooling and pools, how I've seen them respond to this is really helping their members with the actual underwriting applications and helping them wade through that process so that so that the pool as a pool could secure the coverage either on an individual basis or as a pool. So I think the pooling community has really stepped up to help public agencies along that along that line. Well, and then I hate to, you know, hate to invoke this word, but it's changed our lives, changed our world. How, and this can be both of you, but COVID, how has it played an increase in cyber attacks? And and I'm thinking probably as people have moved, maybe working from home some, opening up new and weaker links. But if you both could speak to that. Yeah, maybe I'll start and then Jody can uh, chime in on top. Um, remote work, you hit on it. Remote work impacted all industries specific to cybersecurity uh, and cyber attacks. We moved to remote work on very short notice. It exposed a lot of weakness in the processes, connectivity, um, you know, just general protections. So the, we are still in many ways recovering from that quick move to remote work. Um, I would say also, you know, as a as an industry segment, we all hear about ransomware and the shutdown of systems. We're seeing more and more targeted financial attacks, and these are easier to pull off or maybe we're more susceptible to them as a remote workforce, right? We don't have the ability to just walk down to the accounting department and verify that somebody is trying to send an email and change account codes, bank codes, where invoices are paid, where monies are received too. We're seeing a very um, uh, targeted increase in financial system attacks, uh, and they tend to be more successful as we're all, uh, all we're all maybe increasingly disconnected. And I, the only thing I would add on top of that is I actually think that COVID-19 uh, for the public sector, but also for all, I mean, similar to all other industries, actually had the, if we can say positive effect, but had a positive effect on, on, on increasing the level of IT security on a much more accelerated basis then perhaps our our public entities, cities, schools, counties, and special districts were on uh, pre-COVID, meaning from a planning standpoint. So I think there was a small small positivity out of that, and it, it did accelerate some of those plans and some of that investment, um, so that they can be a little more secure against cyber attacks. That's that's a great point, Jody. 
Well, let's wrap it up with the good stuff here of we're going to be seeing people <laughs> September 13th through 16th. Uh, what are you both most looking forward to at Kajapa, and, and what can attendees expect? Especially, we're going to have a great team from Cedric there. So, Jody, why don't you lead off? Well, I'll state the obvious. It's seeing everybody back in person. Um, this is the first back in person for Kajapa. And while many of us have seen each other at other conferences or other meetings, um, it is, there's nothing like, uh, being in South Lake Tahoe together with the pooling community and being able to be there in person. And so I think just that, the energy of being in person, learning together, and catching up is 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 going to be uh, over the top, probably better than any other Kajapa in past history. I wholeheartedly agree, Jody. It's going to be great to see everybody. And, and Jonathan, I would only add that this is one of our biggest opportunities as an industry to just move forward new ideas, um, new changes and enhancements, respond to issues. So it will be really, really nice to see everybody and uh, make some headway that way. And I think we've lost over the last couple of years uh, being away from each other. Well, thank you both for being on the show. We are just about a month away. And for those listening, we look forward to seeing you there. Uh, bring your questions. Be prepared to learn. And uh, until next time, thanks for being on the Cedric Podcast.